David, you cut your finger. I did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it bled a lot, too. I missed um, that. What happened? I'm like the uh, finger cutting guy. It it's happened in thing. the shop. That's my thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it happened in the shop, but it, ha- it didn't happen on the table saw or any of the tools. It was with the soda can. <gasps> that could be one of like th- that's when you get cut really bad. It's like when yeah, you, like, you just expect it, and you think safety is not an issue. You're trying to rip plywood with a soda can again. Mostly. I was just goofing, and I picked the can up and just threw it. But when I picked it up, my finger went inside the little soda can hole. Uh oh, lawsuit! And, and so when I <laughs> and so when I threw it, um, it took a big it took a big chunk of skin off, and um, it wouldn't. It's it it's not bad at all. But it but because it's a fingertip, it just kept bleeding and bleeding. And I'm like going through all I was putting the wrap on there and it was bleeding through the wrap. I'm like, this is not that bad. Will you just stop bleeding? And so now that uh we're twenty four hours later and I just got a small little band-aid on there. Um oh. it'd be cool to see if my 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 fingerprints see if it comes back normal. My mm. fingerprints, like if you took if you took a picture and then you sliced it up with a razor blade. <laughs> and then he was like a picture of a fingerprint and sliced it up with a razor blade and then did like the, the healing brush we talked mm-hmm. about illustrator last time the healing <laughs> yeah, brush nice. and like it would like assume to like connect them like we'd be like okay this like, looks like it's right but it's not right that's what all my fingerprints look like <laughs> holes in them and stuff yeah like I might be able like if I committed like a crime when I was like 17 I, by now I probably would get away with it if they found my fingerprints on the set <laughs> <laughs> we just can't match them up. Yeah, I was out at the farm this weekend, and I was measuring something with a full a twenty five or twenty six foot tape, fully extended. And um, I went to like let the break loose, and I went to grab with my other hand. I went to grab the tape so it didn't you know slap in really fast, and I missed it, and so all 26 feet were like towards my hand and it popped the end of it popped over and hit the tip of my finger oh yeah right above my uh fingernail and so it was just that really thin piece of metal just went pop and immediately blood just shot i mean like i don't know maybe a foot just like oh really yeah it was and and i it didn't do that like forever but the initial hit was like a oh it's crazy and it immediately started bleeding like crazy and it was just a really really thin kind of I mean it's not very deep and it was a really thin cut so it was a lot of blood for just a few minutes but I'm like all the way down there in the woods I'm like oh man <laughs> I don't have anything so I'm just like pinching it with one hand just to stop it from bleeding till I can get a, a bandaid yeah, on it pressure but then it's all over both hands so I walk up out of the woods holding both of my hands with both of my hands covered in blood and all the kids were like oh no what's wrong ah! you know like freaking out thinking <laughs> One I'm actually hurt. I'm like it's okay it's I'm, I'm okay you know it's over <laughs> here but it's ever since then I've had this little flap of skin at the tip of my finger right behind right behind my fingernail that's just been trying to heal and man you don't realize how often that point of your finger yeah. this is my my index finger that gets hit on everything you reach in your pocket to get something that drags yeah. against the outside of the pocket oh Ugh. when i was doing hand therapy to try and get my pinky working again 10 years ago there was always a list of questions every time i went into therapy that I asked and it's just routine so they can keep your your medical records up to date and <clears throat> it always said any difficulty reaching in your pocket counting change you know because it was a hand place so putting your hands in your pockets and stuff is always something that the doctors are aware of so it is a thing I was just saying, it might happen while working on a project, but it didn't happen on camera because it wasn't a, a it, it wasn't a tool based thing. It was just something silly, and so in the next shot in the video, I have this big wrap around there, and to keep the wrap <laughs> on my finger, I had blue painters tape on there, and I didn't explain it in the video, and I haven't shot the end, and I know I'm going to have to explain it in the end so I don't get a million questions, but it's, it's just one of those silly things. Do a funny reenactment in like, uh, <laughs> in like, you know, like an off colored, like, uh, you know, like in slow-mo of you, like throwing the can silly. 
or or make a better story. Like yeah. I was in the yeah. middle of this project and a gang of like bikers broke into my shop <laughs> and we had a knife fight and I beat them all up except for one of them hit me in the fingertip with a can. With a can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I had a I had a ruler incident the other day too. Same thing. I it's it, I didn't do any stories on it or anything, but I had a, a Milwaukee ruler. <clears throat> I can really complain about rulers, but we could t- save that. But I had a Milwaukee ruler stretched out about 12 feet. And I had the pressure on the thing, but I didn't push it in to click it in all the way. And I kind of let it off for a split second. And the ruler came rushing back. And it just went thunk and stopped. And I didn't realize where my thumb was. You know, the little tiny metal triangle thing that has two rivets in it. The back of that buried itself right into the my thumbprint. Ow. And I literally had to like pull it out of my skin. Oh. So like the point of that little divot is loose so that you can put it in and out like on a nail. Remember that old thing, you know? Yeah. So it's because it's loose, it buried itself under my skin up to the first rivet. And so the top of my thumb <laughs> it like just went in and stopped because it was at the at the end of it, but also had like another like it had like the width of the riveted thing to go inside, but it stopped against my thumb, buried about an eighth of an inch into my skin, which really hurt. So keep your thumbs when, out of the action zone, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> the action At zone. My, uh, my grandfather, not the one that we live in the house from, but my other grandfather was a contractor and he built a bunch of buildings. And uh, I was telling my dad about this thing on my finger the other day and he said yeah your grandfather used to tell me all the time not to let you know tape measures pop back and like let them you know because a lot of times people even short tapes will just let the brake go and let it slide in like a lightsaber and it hits and everything but every time it does that especially on the older cheaper tapes it those rivets the holes where those rivets go oh slide piece, <laughs> yeah it like will stretch those holes, which then changes your measurement over time in really, really small increments. So you let a tape slide in a whole bunch of times for several years, and then you end up being like an eighth of an inch off because it's like it's made those holes into egg shapes rather than, you know, circles. But yeah, he took that lesson from him. And I don't typically do that. It was it was weird. Like I was going to grab it, you know, like I started to unlock it and then I was going to grab it kind of in one motion and I just missed and even if it was 26 feet, like that seems like plenty enough time for me to have been missed it and then go, oh, yeah, I got to grab it again. But I was like, I don't know what to do. Ow! It just happened quickly. You, you know how when you go into your YouTube analytics and you can see when people fall off your, your video, I wonder like, you know, how many people started this podcast and like, oh, they're talking about bloody fingers. I am out of here. Or Jimmy's <laughs> embedded tape measure into his into his thumb. <laughs> Well, let's move on. What have you been uh, up to, David? What have you been doing? I, other than cutting your finger. I'm just about done with version two of the chair. Um, oh, I cool. just got to go put in, uh, I just got to pound in the other side and then sit on it. And it looks really, really good. Um, I'm happy with it. I'm hoping it's a little bit more comfortable. But I took, uh, I took the previous design and I gave it some, some, Pachudo angles on there and it's made out of solid walnut and pvc pipe and i think it's i think it come out really good the uh um and then i i love that i did this because it's going to uh ruffle some feathers but i had this walnut slab that I used to make the chair. Like it would be perfect for like live edge furniture, but I don't care for live edge furniture that much. And so I took it and resawed it and made it into all these pieces. And, and, um, this is, this is a piece of walnut slab that I got for $15. Um, there's this local retired farmer guy who sometimes cuts down trees in his yard. And I'm, um, and then he, this came from his his yard and he was just selling this level walnut for $15 so it's like um I don't know three feet long by 25 inches wide and absolutely beautiful crazy curly grain in there for 15 bucks nice that's awesome so yeah that's that's an interesting thing about slab wood is that you could pay thousands of dollars for something really beautiful or you can pay 15 bucks for something on somebody's front lawn yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
with the chair, uh, now that you've gotten through it and everything, has the PVC option worked out like you expected? Was there anything so, you know, that you didn't see coming with that or anything? It's it's working out just fine. When I did the version one, I had the... So it's made with dowels. I had all the through holes go all the way through the two ends. And when we were... And that one had 20... It was made up of 28 dowels. And we realized if you put all the dowels on one side and then try to put the other piece on top of that, you couldn't get all 28 to line up with the holes to pound that piece in. You would need like 28 people or 14 people to hold. Do you know what? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. So what we ended up doing with that one is um, there was enough play in there where we could take the dowel out and then pound it through both of them at the same time. Um, and for this one, the holes were not all the way through. So I had to make sure that this time it's got 30 dowels, uh, 30 PVC pipes. Um, and so I kind of pencil sharpened the end of them I didn't u- really use a pencil sharpener, but it just kind of gave it that cone um, to help me to help it find that hole a little bit. And then I tested it last night. If I put a weight on top, if, oops, I hit my microphone. If I have the whole chair sitting sideways on my bench and I'm trying to line the holes into the top or the bottom and I put a weight on there, that added weight helps. Once it finds the hole, it doesn't want to pop back out and I can get them all lined hmm. up. And yeah, so it was a, it was a, it was a little trick. I was really worried that it wasn't going to work. And if it wasn't going to work, I was going to CNC or laser cut some sort of guide to keep all the little dowels perfectly aligned while it popped into place. Hmm. I don't know if that what visually kind of makes you sense. End up using? What's that? What kind of glue did you end up using? Uh, or, or how did you attach the PVC to the walnut? Total bolt. I uh, total bolt epoxy. I did a test hmm. and uh, I just butted uh, a PVC pipe on on walnut. No, not even didn't even drill it. Just did a butt joint and glued it on there, and it seemed to work just fine. So cool. Yeah, with that many of them, with thirty of them, I'm sure there's a ton of surface area. That's like a bunch of yeah epoxy yeah. contacts. Yeah, it should should be crazy strong. Um, the most boring part of that is sanding thirty of pieces of that PVC pipe because it comes with the writing on there. Yeah, yeah. And it sands off really easy, but it actually took a couple hours of of doing it, just using the um, uh, the the sanding pads. There's, I can't remember at the moment what chemical it is. I don't want to say the wrong one. It may be acetone, oh. but you can just like wipe it down and it will wipe the ink right off. Mm. So if you ever, mm. you ever decide to make another chair with 30 pieces of BBC pipe. Well, it'll I, also etch it. It's good to know. I mean, I can give it a test and I can, t- I haven't shot the end of the video, so I could talk about that and say I would have saved myself I'm, lots of time. I'm not positive it's acetone. There is something. It may, yeah. it may be alcohol. It may be something. There's something that breaks down the, whatever that ink is. But yeah, mm. I don't know. Uh-uh. So also, uh, one more quick thing is um, right. So part of it is made on the CNC, and I'm like, I know people don't like this part, so I'm going to try to fancy it up a little bit. I stop and I say, I'm going to make a quick song and use that song as the music for the the CNC part. And so the goal today is to actually go and try to write something and, and record something just for that and record myself like a, maybe like a quick little 15 second, like this is me making the song. And then that's the, the loop during the CNC part. So the goal today is to write a quick little, little jam. Huh? That's cool. I saw you had some new music equipment recently. I'm, I saw the space echo. I have to say, I'm very, very, oh very gosh. jealous of that. That thing, that thing <laughs> is so cool. Awesome. I I want to get it in a video somehow because it, it is just a cool piece of technology. The Space Echo, this particular one, I think was made in 83 or 84, but it's a delay effect. But it uses tape, a, a loop of tape for the delay effect. So it has four play, record, and erase heads in there. And so like if you strum a chord on your guitar... It records that and then records it four times and then it goes through the playheads and plays those four and you can control the 
um, how many times it repeats and the loudness of the repeat, which is, it calls it the intensity. And it just looks cool because there's this loop of tape in the bin on top that is just moving around and it's just, it, it's, it's hypnotic. Yeah, it, if you look inside of it, it looks like there's something wrong. Like, oh right, no, my right. tape came unspooled because it's just like a bunch of loose tape in this little tray just kind of snaking around, but it only really cares about having tension on the tape at the beginning and the end of the actual recording and playing process. Yep. But man, it's such a cool piece of hardware. I've always wanted one of those. And um, the just the, the design on the face of it just looks really cool. It's just, it's, it's very iconic and... I'd love, I just, I want to take a photo of it and just hang that photo up on the wall. It looks so cool. I don't have the Space Echo, which is the really expensive common one. I have the, I forget. Chorus Echo, the right? cor The Chorus Echo. And it actually has chorus and reverb effects on there, which I don't think the Space Echo does. I don't think it has the chorus. But for whatever reason, it's cheaper. Maybe because it was made five years later and there was millions of them made. But So I don't have the super sought-after one, but it's actually even more cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was in a studio years and years and years ago, and uh, this guy that ran the studio had a bunch of really cool stuff like that, and he had one of those and we didn't end up using it on the recording, but we did get to play with it a little bit. And it's just, man, so cool. Yeah. And that's one of those things. Like, if you go to actually look for the original Space Echo, ridiculously expensive, super hard to find. Nobody wants to get rid of them if they've got one, you know. Just one of those pretty cool things. But yeah. anyway, well, that's cool. Jimmy, what have you been up to? Oh, making making bullet bourbon trailers still. Every day I've been trying to get this job out. Um, I'm making... Mm -hmm five i made five over the course of like four weeks i'm trying to make eight in the course of two weeks with what i learned on that first pass and the funny thing is is uh i'm real i'm trying to figure out how to do everything on the cnc because this is full-on production has nothing to do with the video other than just social media stuff so yesterday I, I did some stories on it i have to make the back walls and they're basically seven by seven feet square and i have because I changed the design, I ended up with like 30 sheets of three-quarter plywood. And instead of making the walls traditionally how I made them with two-by-fours and whatnot, I decided I'm like, I'm using that plywood up. I already own it. I'm using it. I don't care what I have to do. So I laid it out on Illustrator, and I ended up making five nesting ribs that go north-south and five nesting ribs that go uh, perpendicular to them. And I made these big seven-by-seven-foot grids. Today, I'll sheet them. But it was interesting because I, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what do I have to do next? And next I have to wrestle eight sheets of plywood through the table saw for an hour and a half, then chop them up into little tiny pieces that go in between and make like an egg crate style. I'm basically doing like flats like you would see in a Hollywood set or in a stage production. So I'm thinking to myself, oh God, I'm, it's like 900 degrees out and my shop is cramped because I got these things everywhere. And just the thought process of having to like literally slide an eight foot sheet of plywood through, pick it up. All the dust is everywhere. Obviously I have collection, but you still have dust. So I came up with this idea of just doing it straight up all on the CNC. You put it up there, you push the button, take a nap, you wake up, you put your table together. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot of work, obviously, but it's a lot. It, the work is a little bit easier, especially if we're in production mode and we're not really like worried about comments like oh, you do a cnc stuff <laughs> so you know i don't really care about that stuff but I, it, was, um, it was a good it was a breakthrough and i, I was last night at nine o'clock i'm sitting there making these walls i have to make four more because it got late so and i thought to myself i woke up this morning planning on throwing eight sheets of plywood through the table saw fiddling around nailing a big square together then filling all the inside parts together and cutting every little in between curling and here I am with a completely different idea than when I woke up with, which is so much more convenient. I could assemble this alone. I could assemble it standing up against the wall because I'm just nesting these egg created boxes together. You put two together and you put, then you put three together and all you have an H and then you add on to the H and then you add on to the H in the opposite direction. And then you just nail the ends on and you're done. And as opposed to wrestling around, putting all four pieces, nailing one corner on a, on a set of, you know, the full seven by seven foot laid out on four horses. I literally built all these leaning on the table saw. I, I still have more to make, but it's just, 
a testament to the idea of just keeping a loose, open mind when you go into something, you know, mm. like it's so funny how many times like working with an assistant, whether it be Aaron or Brett or my new assistant, Katie, who's been in some of my videos, she's, she's kind of interning with us. It's like, well, what are you going to do next? And I go, I don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, I'm not really sure. I have an idea, but I don't know. Like <laughs> what happens after we paint all these and then nail them together? I go, I don't know. I'm thinking about that. <laughs> and so <laughs> I you know there's obviously several ways to do anything but to keep a loose open mind is is really important you know I, and then I always it's I sort of have this duality about myself where I'm thinking like what are you going to do you got to do this and then I say to myself well well self don't worry about it you've always made it through before and then I say yeah but we only have today and then I say and we'll make it happen young young Duresta will make it work <laughs> you know, it's I'm being silly but I do have that and then I'm vote. like good talk me and I'm like yeah good job me catch <laughs> you later okay see you I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to I'm trying to find the funny in that but I do honestly have that that conversation in my head where it's like yeah. oh you only have today what can you do and I'm like oh and then I just like I always lean on well you've always done it before you'll pull through again so that's a lot, a lot of learning, you know, and this is a big job. It's obviously a lot of money at stake and time and energy, and it's getting there. I'll be done by Friday. I'm, I'm closing in on all the different checklists. And the other thing, too, is people always notice my production aspect of anything. And it's like, if I'm going to make the wall, I'm going to make every one of the walls. If I'm going to sheet the walls, then I'll sheet every one of the walls, as opposed to making one full one, grabbing all those tools and then putting them away and then grabbing all those tools again and not necessarily putting them away, but, you know, jockeying where they are this way. If I'm stapling, I'm stapling every single one of them. Then I don't need to staple anymore, you know, to some degree. But when you're in production mode, it's really important to figure out a system to do every single step to all of them at once, and then go to the next step to all of them at once. And it's funny. Like I, I said this to Chuck, my guy who orders these things for me, he's like, well, can you have three ready by this? I said, that was the last order. I was like, I'll have all of them ready. He's like, really? I'm like, it's easier for me to make five than it is to make three and then another three. I was like, they'll all be ready by the pickup date. He's like, wow, that's amazing. I was like, Honestly, it's it would take longer to do three just to try and meet that order and then make another three. Ultimately, yeah. I'd spend a lot more man hours doing that. Hmm. So. That's interesting because I really don't do multiples of anything. So I never, I don't often get the the chance to figure out a better way to like refine a system. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you do a lot of that. Like when we yeah. the ice picks, that process has changed and oh, refined. Oh, yeah. And even lot. the trailers on the first, like if you watch the movies, the movie of the trailer versus what, obviously I haven't really recorded any of this stuff versus what I've just done. I cut so many quarters. I ended up with the initial order was like five or $6,000 worth of plywood. And by changing just a few design aspects, you know, just basically getting confident and thinking like, oh, that will never work in the first round. And then doing it and realizing how overbuilt it is and then reducing some of the material. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wow, I don't have to go out and buy 37 or 52 by fours. Now I could just use the plywood I have left over from that other step that I was able to re reinvent. So I'm always looking for opportunities. And that's really important, especially when you're in production, looking for opportunities to cut corners because I was all prepared to go out and spend, you know, another whatever, three or $400 on two by fours to make the wall parts. And now I made them all out of all the leftover plywood that I ended up with. And we had two big, like April Wilkerson size pallets of plywood in the shop. And over the last two weeks, they've all become reduced to just big frames with things cut out of them laying in front of my shop. I could show it on the stories later, but there is probably 25 sheets of plywood and every one of them is just a skeletal frame of everything that came out of it leaning on the front of the building. And we have mm -hmm. a local guy that just comes and takes it. I think he burns it in an incinerator or something. He uses it for heat, but they're just so clumsy. They're literally a four by eight sheet of plywood, which is like, it's a skeleton basically, you know, yeah, 80% of the material is taken out of it. But it's, uh, and it's also fun because it's it's easy in the shop because then I just unscrew the the piece, pick it up, and just bring it to the front. I don't have to pick up ten pieces. I just get it outside, and it's like garbage in like a little nice package. So, hmm. so I saw on your I ahead. saw on your stories that you were showing off your truck again. Oh, I don't yeah. ever have the audio on on my phone, so I assume that was your truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so happy with my new little truck that came from Minnesota yesterday. 
It's uh, a 1985, that's the year I graduated high school, 1985, Chevy Silverado K30. It's funny, I'm learning more about Chevys than I, than I, than I thought I knew. It's a K, and the K denotes four-wheel drive. So if you see like a C10 or, or a K10, K means four-wheel drive. It's usually for the Blazers and the bigger trucks. And C means two-wheel drive. So a C10 is a two-wheel drive. K30, K20 is a four-wheel drive. This is a K30 body, but it is not a four-wheel drive truck. It is definitely a Frankenstein together truck from somebody in the world. And I don't know, we don't really know much of the history. Derek from Vice Grip Garage, I mentioned him a couple months ago. I talked about him and then he wrote me on Instagram and said, thanks for the mention when I mentioned him here. And he said, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for a square bodied Chevy flatbed. He goes, I love square bodies. I guess that's all I, that's what I deal in mostly. And after a couple of weeks, he sent me a picture of that one. He goes, I'm getting this one on Facebook market. He goes, you don't have to take it. He goes, but I'll check it out. If you like it, you could buy it. And that's how, that's how that deal happened. And he had it, brought it back to his shop, looked at it over real closely. And then he held on to it for me. And we just had it shipped. So I paid a couple people are asking me how much I paid. I paid 2,500 for the truck. And then I had it shipped for 1100. So I'm into the truck for like $3,600. Is that, is that the math? That's the math. Right? Yeah. And that's considerably cheaper than anything I could find around here. I got a little, you always get a little buyer's nervousness thinking that I do the right thing. And I researched all around the Northeast, something, the place I could drive to, or just, you know, something within striking distance of where I'm at. I could not find anything for the same price for the condition that it's in. And so we'll see. I got a, I'm going to, one of the fenders is a little rusted. So I was going to change that and just do a couple of little bits and pieces of body work to it. But it's fun. Now I have like my own Mad Max ready for anything vehicle. I'm going to put one of the welding generators on it, get it ready so I can drive it to a location and be able to weld. So it's, uh, it's exciting. It's like, it, like I said, That's it gives cool. me all this like potential energy is sitting there and it's fast. It's like really fast. And it's got a shifter on the floor, which is something I've never really had. As like an adult, I've never had like a real shifter car. I love it. Hmm. You guys um, ever see Buffalo '66? Con- the movie. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> yeah. Saying. Is this a shifter car? <laughs> I cannot drive a shifter car. We're gonna switch seats, and if you run away, I will be very, very mad. That's, That's really good. That's a really good scene. Vincent Gallo. That's great. That's my favorite scene in a movie. Vincent Gallo used to live in my neighborhood. He used to ride by my shop all the time. But he's such what? a weirdo. I never got to be friends with. I- have you met him? No, he's such a weirdo. He would ride he's by on like an old like witch bicycle and everybody would ignore him. He's such a weird dude. I can't I don't know if it's still up, but he <laughs> used to have a website of his personal artwork and it was just like crazy weird. Yeah, he's out there. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So it is a shifter truck. Uh, it's a and I love I haven't driven a shifter truck in so long or even a shifter car in really. My little green Chevy is a shifter, but it's on the column. I feel like a grandpa driving that. This is on the floor where you feel like a man, where you're like driving with your hands sitting on top. I could make like a custom shifter knob now, like with like a skull on it. You know, it's like I have the opportunity to do cool stuff. So, <laughs> you're going to definitely personalize um, it. You were talking about the the K and the C in the Chevy names, and that reminded <laughs> me that, uh, you know, Kevin O'Connor from This Old House has a, I think his is a K10 Blazer. Have you ever seen his Blazer? Ah, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That thing is awesome. Yeah, I think he I like rebuilt it, didn't he? He rebuilt the whole thing from scratch, didn't he? I, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about it. I've just seen him driving it a few times. It is really, really cool. Um, speaking of of trucks, I have been for a long time kind of wanting to get an old Land Cruiser. I mean, mine's old, but an older one, like the previous versions. Um as a project vehicle and we were out at the farm the other day and I had to pull mine into the barn to get it out of the way of the mower and when I had it in there I'm like even with the big tires and the rack on top there's still plenty of room on you know in the doorway to get it in there's plenty of room to walk around it to work on it I was just watching like looking at it like man I think it's time to get like a project vehicle I think it's time to find an old FJ40 of some sort so anybody listening that is that is has a a long wheelbase FJ40 something in that series that they want to get rid of that's not like a rust bucket. I mean it's got to be you know kind of there potential. I was going to say by the way, so I bought that Chevy truck. It's a Chevy flatbed. You know, it's like a utility truck. I found the Wisconsin, Wisconsin. The, I forget what town, but Wisconsin 
road crew, it's a road department of some town inside the visor. And it's from 1985 and said mileage three. So it is the original certificate of title for the truck from 1985 is stuck in the visor. It's a, it's a photocopy, but it is the original documentation that was stuffed into the visor. I don't think Derek even knew it was there. And uh, it, you know, it just gives a little bit of history. Of, so it was a Wisconsin township road, you know, some small township in Wisconsin road truck, you know, uh, maintenance vehicle. So that's good. You know, usually uh, maintenance vehicles in general, from what I've been told and it's been my experience, because I also have my, my M108 army truck is a 1986 Chevy square body. I bought that with 50,000 miles. Typically road crew trucks are well-maintained and they're not usually too beat up. You know, if unless it's like something gets thrown in and out of the back a hundred times, but mechanically speaking, they're typically in good shape because it's one guy's job to make sure the fleet is in good shape. So one or two guys or a team of guys that are there to just constantly maintenance like the road crews, vehicles, because they don't want people getting stuck. So in general, those trucks are pretty well maintained as far as uh, I, I've been told in, in my, like I said, my experience with my Chevy army truck. So anyway, it's a good place to look if you're looking for a good utility vehicle, old old road crew stuff township stuff i doubt they use land cruisers on uh township <laughs> oh, oh, cruise, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh i heard in aspen colorado they all the road crew trucks are fj sevens <laughs> <laughs> that's possible i guess um so, trying to think of a town so with money <laughs> what have i been doing um you got a haircut I did get a haircut. I finally got a haircut. Um, I was, so I guess a little personal backstory over the last month or so. My wife had COVID. um, And so she's fine. We're all fine. But that made uh, July pretty terrible and weird for us, for for, uh, the family and for the the business and everything. And so now we're all good. We're all back to healthy and, and in the world, you know, to the smallest degree possible but i was finally able to get a haircut all that to say i was finally able to get a haircut um did you go down to did you go down to the uh to the kentucky uh, state house with your ar-15 and demand a haircut is that how you got it? <laughs> it's, it's not michigan um what have i been working on oh okay so i wanted to talk to you about this i bought a dro for my bridgeport in february and it was right before all the COVID stuff <clears throat> kind of hit and, or maybe right when, I don't know, whatever. I got it in the mail and the guys weren't here and I had more time kind of, you know, like to like uninterrupted where I was like, okay, I have this DRO. I can finally learn how to put it on the bridge fort. I can start to uh, figure out how to use that, uh, those two things together, stuff like that. That was February. Last week. A couple days ago, I finally started putting it on. This is August. <laughs> so uh, I put on the first uh, one of the scales on the, the back of the table. <clears throat> Went on super easy. I had to just go get a new drill bit to drill into the, the cast iron, but it turns out that that actually drills and taps really nicely. Super easily. I was surprised about that. Um, but I got the first one put on, and it was a breeze. And so then the next day after work, I went down and I was going to put on the the Z. And I was putting it on two surfaces that were not machined, but that was like the side of the case, but they were parallel, I thought. And so I got it all laid out, got the holes drilled, got both parts mounted, and then went to raise the knee of the machine to slide the scale up to the top limit. So as I'm going up, like you can't feel anything when you're raising the knee of the bridge fort, you're fighting against the weight of the bridge fort. So you can't feel anything else. So I get this thing all the way up and I go over to like touch the scale and just to see if it like is still tight and whatever. And it, when I'm looking at it straight on, it's tilted. Like, so it was like, you thought one was parallel into the other one. And as it moved, you like wrenched it, changed the shape. So I unscrewed the whole thing to see if it would move freely. It would not move freely. So I, un- I opened it up to see on the inside, 
And basically the, the scale part that moves, it has these little tiny bearings and it fits around a piece of glass and it slides up and down a piece of glass. Well, the glass was still intact, but the bearing holders on this little sled piece were broken off mm. and twisted. Mm. So I'm assuming I did that and it didn't come like that from the factory. Um, but I don't really know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure. So basically I ruined one of the scales of this thing which is really disheartening. Uh, so now I have to order another replacement scale there and figure out how to mount it in a way that will be you know, on one of the surfaces that's not machined, which I know is totally doable. They have instructions for it. I just didn't think that I needed to do it. You just put so, two pegs in with a little bit of spring lotion tension behind it. So if there's two pegs into the one casting and load it against springs on either direction so that it, maybe it'll float like that. I don't know. Is that an idea? Maybe. It, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the two pieces that are coming together, uh, they're not they're not only not coplanar on one direction. I think they're actually coplanar, not coplanar in two places. So compounds fast. So yeah. So I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. That was all that to say was I got a little bit of progress and got really excited. Like, oh, I can actually do this. I was kind of scared to drill into the thing and make holes that were maybe unnecessary. Made some progress and then just kind of like, ooh, whoops. <laughs> so let me ask <laughs> you, your, your DRO is for X, Y, and Z? Yes. Oh, wow. That's why I only have X and Y. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, when you're buying the kit, um, you can get a, a two or three axis, you know, and I was like, well, if I'm going to spend the money, it's not that much more to get a third axis. It, it doesn't because the readout is the same. It's just getting another set of scales for it. So, like, well, may as well go ahead and do it. Now I'm having to buy four of them, you know, instead <laughs> of three. I screwed one up. But but it was kind of funny. Um, the other day I was thinking about a bench, <laughs> a wooden bench. This is a long train of thought. So hang with me. I was thinking about a wooden bench and I've thought about this thing for a long time and it has a curve to it. And I'm like, well, what's the best way to do this curve? And then eventually I got to, well, I could make a steel, a, a curve, a, a piece of steel tubing, square tubing, and then build this shape that I want on top of that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll look into benders. Like I haven't ever had a good reason to get a, a tube bender. Like that'd be fun. I'll look into that and start understanding what those options are and the cost and stuff. And that's when, Jimmy, when I texted you the other day. So I was like, well, you can buy a lot of different vendors, all different price and quality and whatever. And almost every single one of them that I could find comes with the um, the wheels on it are for tube. They're for round stock. But I need to make square stock. I don't really need to. This was just a thought process. So I'm like, well, I can buy a bender. And then to get the rollers for square stock, that's another 200 bucks, 250 bucks for a single set of rollers for one size. And then if you want multiple sizes of tube, you have to buy different sets of rollers. And I'm like, man, that just seems, hang on. <laughs> so, so I'm like, well, that seems like a, if I go down that road, I can expect that eventually I'm going to be spending more and more money to have all these different options on round, on square, on all different sizes. And then I got to looking at the rollers and I'm like, well, I have a lathe and I have a bridge port. Like, is there any reason I couldn't just make these rollers? Because they're basically just a roller with a bearing on the inside of it. And the only thing that's different is the profile that where the tube sits. So I like texted Jimmy and I'm like, showed him what I was looking at. Is there any reason I couldn't make the this with these two tools, even though I don't know how to yet? He was like, no, absolutely not. So then I'm thinking, okay, so I could get this tube bender and then to make custom rollers for it, I need to use the bridge port and the South Bend lathe. To use the South Bend lathe, I still have to have the tool rest machined so that I can actually use it, because right now I can't mount a tool. To do that, I have to machine that on the bridge port. And so that I can feel confident in doing that accurately, I need to put the DRO <laughs> on the Oh, your tool rest, your tool rest came with, like the, with the customization necessary to make it fit your machine, is that why? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it has to go into So the basically, slot. I ended up with this process where I'm like, if I want to make this wooden bench, 
I need to buy a tool and then I need to make a thing. But to make that thing, I need to (laughs) modify one thing on one tool to use another tool. But before I can modify that one thing on that one tool, I have to mount another thing. (laughs) It's just like, or I could spend $150 on some rollers. No, well, that's an education. Once you start dealing with the machine shop, you start to really have this. Once you develop your machining skills and you knowing what you can do and realizing what you could do, it's it's you're just compounding your skill set. And whereas like right now you're going through all this mental mental back and forth going, hmm, what's gonna be there's gonna be a time in a year or eighteen months from now where you're just gonna go immediately like, Oh yeah, we'll just make that and like that what you're going through now it just went into that split second decision of, Oh, well that I guess I could just make that part and then that and then you so that's what happens when you just start developing your skills and just taking chances. So I've gone down the whole tube bending route and my tube bender, I did the same thing. Like, Oh, you need mine. Mine uses these dies and you need a die for round. You need a die for square. You need a die for each size of that. But then within each size, you need to choose the die for the particular radius that you want. And it's oh. so it is a little confusing and it kind of stinks because each one of those dies is $150 at least for my two. I think Dave you're using benders where you're bending like corners. Bob you're talking about doing a roller bender where it's like you're bending a whole Oh, I, yeah. Is oh, that I, correct? I got you. Got you. Yeah. 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 But it is the same it's the same, you know, it's the same rabbit hole exactly. Hmm. Yeah, it was just a really interesting uh kind of path to go down without even really realizing it and when i got to the end of it i'm like okay cool so i just have to mount the dro i'm going to start that i'm like this is to make a wooden bench like what am i doing <laughs> i just go but just think of all the possibilities afterwards oh yeah yeah totally and I, th- I do think like these things like getting the the tool holder for the lathe i can't really use that tool until that thing is done so it's not it's not like i'm just making a one-time thing i'm I'm enabling that tool to happen. And I know the DRO is not necessary, but in my mind and with my lack of experience, that's a thing that I want to have there to feel comfortable to start using that tool. And so those are both things that are initial setup. Once they're done, they're done. And then those tools are going to be, I'll have fewer reasons not to use them. You know what I mean? And it's, al- so it's always good to have an good excuse to get that thing done or to buy right. that thing. Do you yeah. Instead of just like, oh, someday I'm going to get that DRO, but now you you know you need a reason to get it and have it set up. Yeah. Um, also, I got to looking around at the tube benders, the rollers, and I don't know anything about you know any of the companies that make them because uh, a lot of the companies that make those type of metalworking tools I've just not had to deal with, so I don't have a lot of experience. I don't have like a an equivalent to a woodworking tool that I have experience with. <laughs> So I don't have a brand loyalty or anything. Um, so I was looking at you know, the cheapest options first and then trying to compare that with kind of the next grade up and see what was different. And it's just like most of the other tool systems where you start to see the same castings from company to company. When you look at the uh-huh. profiles of two of these benders, you're like, oh, look at that. They're the exact same shape and they have that exact same marking right there in that little thing. And there's a $300 difference. I wonder why that is, you know? So I ended up finding, um, I had a lot of people recommend Bailey as a company, which I've heard a lot about before and they seem like they make really good stuff. But, um, I was looking at one of theirs and then was comparing it against some of the other less, not the bottom of the barrel, but, you know, kind of mid, mid grade. And I found a company called Kaka. You ever heard of Kaka? K-A-K-A. Yeah. So I found this company and it looks to me like uh, it's the same castings, like almost all of their tools as Bailey, but, you know, painted different, probably comes out of a different, part of asia somewhere i don't really know it comes out of a um, different door of the factories well that, yeah it could be that like we'll paint them this color over here and that color over there but anyway so i ended up finding this roller that i'm pretty sure is identical could be a material change between them you know it could be something like that but the actual shape of it the uh that's the cost break. The specs of it and everything is exactly the same and it's like half the price yeah so i've got one of those on order i'll let you know how it works out um 
eventually. I mean, obviously, I have a lot of steps I gotta I gotta do before I can actually get something on there to try rolling it. But um, so I did end up finding one that you know it's on the way, and we'll see how it works out. But yeah, yeah. That's my my long. Um, do you, both of you guys have experience with powder coating? I do, just on like a, like in a garage shop experience, you know, like a toaster oven experience. Yeah, it's it's something that I want to get into, and I want something a little bit bigger than a toaster oven, but I also don't want something that's going to take up a lot of space. So I don't know, maybe we, maybe we can talk about it in the after show or whatever. But I wanted to get your guys's opinion on where to start with with powder coating. Can I just go to Harbor say- Freight? Should I upgrade to something a little bit better? Eastwood, no endorsement here, but Eastwood sells a cool kit that I bought that I've been able to powder coat some tools. I did a video where I powder coated a hammer a couple of years ago, but powder coating uh, is fairly simple. You just got to create, you got to create like a negative charge. So when you powder it, it sticks to it. It's really simple, but get, get that Eastwood kit and some sample colors and it works really well. It's, it's really easy to do. You just, if you're going to do a piece of furniture, you just need a bigger oven. That's really, that's why you need a, a service to do it for you if they have the oven. So that's the story. Yeah, I have the the same Eastwood kit, and it, it seems to work fine. I have their little toaster oven-sized um, oven for it, and it is just barely big enough to be useful. Like, it would be nice if it was twice the size. Um, I know Ben Ueda recently got a cheap, like, electric oven to be able to do something a little bit bigger and ended up having to add another heating element to it. Um, so something like that is an option, but then you're stuck with an oven that you got to like find a place for, you know, you can't really use for much else. Eastwood and I'm sure other companies also sell these, uh, heat panels. So it's kind of like a, uh, like a fluorescent light looking panel, but it's just a heat element and they're on stands and they have a couple different sizes of them so that you can roll them up to something and kind of radiant heat an area, but they're, they're pretty expensive for what it is. Like I think I don't even know the sizes, or, but one I can kind of picture from looking into them years ago. The heating element was probably three feet long on a stand that was four feet long with rollers, and it was like six or seven hundred bucks. So it's not like you would have to probably be able to justify doing a lot of it. For I, I haven't been able to justify buying that, even though I would like to do bigger stuff. I do have a motorcycle frame that eventually I think I might want a powder coat, and so that might be a justification. Um. Or you could find a place, you know, that has, that does some of it and maybe they'll let you use just their oven. I know First Build in Louisville, which is not near you, but it is a place close to us. They have a, like a walk-in oven for it. And I think it's like four feet by four feet by six feet or five feet or something like that. And so you can take a motorcycle frame and hang it on a roller spray it and then just roll the whole thing in and then they heat the whole space and like something like that would be awesome but yeah that's cool you know not not super practical it's funny that reminds me this week i was playing around with and you can see my canteen right here my stainless steel canteen did you guys ever use this this surmark i think it's called is it called sir i haven't it was interesting to see you use it though you spray it on and it's kind of like a pale army like a kind of desert color but that doesn't really matter because what you do is you, it lays on some type of chemical and you laser etch it. This is, I think this one I'm holding. No, I did the wrench first and then I did the second. It's the second time I've ever done it. And then I also did my, my, my little cup, my coffee cup and it works perfect. And I did brass. It rubbed off the brass a couple times. I wonder if it's still on my ice pick. It's right here. Yeah. So it rubbed, it's, it's it not actually affecting the oh, metal. No. It's a layer on top of the metal. Is that right? It is a layer on top, but it's, it somehow tends to etch in. I did it on the brass three times, and the, f- the third time it actually stayed. I can't scratch it off with my my thumbnail. I'm surprised it's still there after being in my pocket for four days. It's uh, it's really cool stuff. I, it's expensive. It's like seems to be way overpriced because they don't seem to have too much competition in that area. At least not that I could tell. One can of this stuff was like seventy five bucks. Oh, one can. And then I accidentally bought it for glass. So when I went back and reviewed my order, like the next day, it's like your order has shipped. And I went and looked at them like. Oh, it says glass and and ceramic, and then I went back to the website, and it says oh metal and glass. So I ended up buying one of each, which is fine. I'll use them up. So I accidentally bought the wrong one first. So they both were like like 150 bucks for two of them. 
but it's really cool if you're gonna if you have a practical laser or, or a typical laser that you know like a, like a hobby laser would probably work with this stuff as opposed to a, a fiber laser would be one that would etch metal right is that correct a fiber laser would etch metal yeah i think so yeah so i don't have i don't have i don't think any one of us has a fiber laser we we only cut metal plastic in metal sorry plastic and wood you could laser etch through like a anodized metal you know like an anodized coating mm-hmm. actually i, I bought that. a yeti i bought a, a white a white powder coated yeti mug and i laser my name in it and what it does it evaporated the the powder coating that's something that's obviously simple to do hmm. um i did that with um f- for my wife she plays in this all-female drum corps and i took their logo and i uh super cheap flasks that you could get on Amazon. It's like 10 bucks and they're black. And then just laser etched the logo. And it looks fantastic because it's got that texture because it removes that, that coating on top there. And it came out better than, than I anticipated. I actually bought a couple because I thought, oh, this is this might be a trial and error thing and just nailed it the first time. Yeah. Chad from Mancrafting is, is the expert on that. If anybody is curious about laser etching through powder coating and whatnot so and he does a lot of coffee cup stuff man crafting he's one of our patrons so um so i had a little question this is just to take a left turn um we've talked about goals a lot you know in the past and usually at the beginning of a year or the end of year whatever we're talking about long-term goals i was curious do you guys ever set like non-project short-term goals for yourself like a month at a time do you ever pick a thing maybe it maybe it's like health related or like a a, something you would just want to get better at or you want to and do you ever set short-term goals for yourself Uh, every day every single day every day give me some examples well like i'll know like lately i've been doing these late night walks and it's been raining so i didn't get to do it last night but i'll set the goal like in the afternoon i'll be like okay tonight i'm going to try and do a five mile walk and Around here, walking, you're literally walking up and down hills the whole time. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty, like I could never run it, you know, not without a lot of training. But I could walk it, you know, and I get to points where I'm like exasperated and like completely like sweaty from walking up a pretty steep hill. And then I go like, oh, at the top of the hill, I get to walk down. So I set the goals for my, in my pet, in my head throughout the day. I'm like, 10 o'clock time, I'm going to go for a walk. And so, and if I don't do it, it really drives me crazy. So by setting the goal in my head, knowing like, okay, before I go to bed tonight, I have to get that done. Or, for instance, I set the goal earlier this month of doing the Surmark testing. I said, you know, one of the goals for the next 10 days is to find an opportunity to play with the laser just purely just for fun and play. And, you know, I, I once I set that goal of fun and play, it makes it more interesting. When I have to set the goal of, oh, I got to do this job because someone's expecting this, that makes it a little bit more tough. So I always try and put the idea of fun in play Taylor and I set the goal of making a barn this summer. And today the guys are out there digging the foundation to pour the cement for a post and beam barn. We're going to build in October for horse. So like, that's a long-term goal we had set, but like going into the spring, it's like, let's try and get the barn done this summer. And by October, the frame will be up. I don't think we're going to finish it this summer, but the frame and the foundation will be there. And we set the post, we set the post for the fencing for the corral. You know, so these type of goals, we, we usually, when it comes to that, Taylor and I will we'll, we'll take like an index card and write like four big goals for the year, for the 12 months on it, and like check them off as we go. And they'll be on the refrigerator all, you know, ongoing. So it's funny, like, because we haven't been to the apartment in a long time. We did that with the apartment. We did that in the apartment on the wall. There was a, a post-it note that just stayed there, you know, and these little things just don't get disposed of. And on the thing is like four major like house renovation things and they're all done so it's like i remember like writing that post-it note being i can't remember even one example i guess being the barn um we wrote that post-it note a long time ago and it's like isn't it fun to look at that post-it note that when we wrote it those were all just sort of dreams and now they're all actualized and so it's important to write these things down and just keep them in your face hmm david do you have anything like that that you do short term no i nothing my all my short term stuff is is more of like a checklist thing and then not really a goal like for me i kind of define a goal as like oh in 30 days 
I want to be able to play Stairway to Heaven on the trumpet. You know, like though that to me is a is a is a goal. Also, don't play Stairway like to Heaven really on the goal. trumpet. Yeah, that's my that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I guess I kind of forgot about goals. Um, I have longer term goals, like what I want to accomplish by the end of the year. But yeah. I don't. I don't really think I have anything except for like little checklists that I want to do this week or or today. But those are goals. Those are goals. Like you know, like yeah. I always do this. I think I look at the clock and I go, okay, by five o'clock this afternoon, all these back walls are going to be done. You know, and I set that goal. And then I get to like five o'clock and I still have one more to go. I'm like, that is absolutely. I'm not going to give up till this one is done. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. The reason I brought it up was because I've been thinking. You know, we've talked the last few weeks about like the A-frame and um, different b- big long-term things that I'm beginning to really think about. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have a kitchen renovation. We have this cabin that I would like to build someday. I've been looking at, you know, maybe getting a project vehicle to work on. I have this old motorcycle from the 50s that's in parts that I just need to start putting together. Like I have not everything I need, but I have a lot of it. And I just haven't done it. Like it's been in a pile for like 15 years for no particular reason. I just never got to it. I have an old Vespa that I could put a little bit of work into and get it completely working. And so I have these long-term things and I've been thinking about them a lot, but I realized the other day that I don't really set short-term goals. And I think one of the cool things about short-term goals is that they are the gratification is a little bit closer. So you can feel like you actually checked something off, like a checklist, in a shorter amount of time than like when the cabin is done. You know, from, <laughs> that's a big long term. And even then, like what is done, does that mean it's like we're not going to do anything else to it? It's completely painted and decorated on the inside? Or does that mean that the foundation is there or the walls are, the, you know, it's a little more nebulous. But like short term stuff is in the next 30 days, I want this to happen. And so I was, I was like, oh, I should just find a couple of things that I can put in place that are, you know, just like just things to hit. Like I, I, I still am learning Italian, but that's just like a daily little bit of time that I put in, and it's it's kind of frustrating, and I don't really feel like I'm making any progress because I don't really talk to anybody with it. So it's, it's not a, you know, it, it's just like a thing I do every day. And so I basically, I've been running a lot more lately and I was like, well, let me look at how much I've been running a month for the past few months and then just make a goal that's past that. So I have to work a little bit harder, not a whole lot harder. I have to do a little bit more just to have an improvement, an extension on what I've been doing by default. And so I found the kind of average mileage over the last couple of months and I added 10 miles to it, which is not that much more to run when you're mm. already running five or six days a week. Yeah. But you do have to work a little bit harder just to get that in. And so, you know, we're only 12 days into the month, but I'm already like looking at every day. I'm like, well, if I, if I do a little bit more today, then I don't have to run one day next week. And then I can, you know, I'm like planning ahead and kind of uh, figuring out a strategy as to how to accomplish this random goal that I set for myself that doesn't mean anything it doesn't have to do with anything it's not going to have any consequence to it or anything like that but it's kind of nice to have a little um, you know I have those points of light out in the future really far off that I'm looking to as interesting and working towards but it's nice to have something a little bit closer to that I can kind of go to and then when I check that off it can be like well that was great or okay now next month I need to take it up another notch or I I need to find something else it's absolutely necessary I think if you're looking for personal growth to do exactly what you mentioned and also the uh, the picture you put up the other day of the the meadow with the finger drawing of the A-frame cabin I hope you save that picture so that you can do the comparison when you're ready yeah yeah I think that'll be cool I've got actually some other ones that I haven't posted I was out there a long time ago and did a little bit more elaborate sketch as to what it could look like. And I think that's what really sold me on it was sitting out there with an iPad. I took a picture of the field and then took the time to draw something kind of in perspective, roughly the right size, shaded it in a little bit. And I'm like, oh, wow, like this would actually work and it would look really cool. (laughs) And that's what I think really pushed me over the edge from a cool idea to something that I, I could actually see happening. So. 
cool. No, like I well, said, uh, there's a crew out there digging a hole for a barn. It's going to be, I don't even know. Look, Taylor designed the whole thing. I stayed out of it. It's like 30 by 40 feet. <laughs> it's a six-stall horse barn. So it'll be traditional wow. bents like you would make. We have a guy who's going to come in October, and we're going to be having our, our big, giant baseball game is going to be going on here. That's a metaphor for the after-show people. So <laughs> the baseball game is going to be going on. Um, that's my double secret project that's been going on for the year. We're going to actually be doing it. Uh, so the, 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 the barn raising might be part of it. At least it might be B roll in the baseball game. Maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. an A story, but a B story or even just B roll. So in the baseball game. <laughs> Sorry for all the people who don't have any no. idea what he's talking no, about. Well, we got. I put a casting thing up, so there's no secret that there's a television production going to take place here. So the casting yeah. is in my Instagram. They asked me to do it, so we're doing a television situation, and that might end up on the on the the episodes. We don't know. Anyway, the 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 barn was way in play before the the TV commitment, so. Just, it's going to be fun that it's overlapped because it's going to get some good documentation. So it'll be fun. Cool. Let's see. Yeah. Awesome. Can I say, can I just want to say one thing that, uh, Dave, on your shirt, can you describe what's on your shirt? It's a sucking candy like grandma would have. Uh, peppermint. It's a peppermint sucking candy. It's the swirl. It's a real classic, iconic image. I remember when I was taking Maya classes, I don't even know when this was, in 2000. In four or five, I was taking Maya. That was that many years ago. No, this was in the 90s because the World Trade Center was still there. It was right after the world. It was just, I started taking Maya classes in like 2000. Yeah, because I remember the World Trade Center was still like, as we drew the World Trade Center. That's 20 years ago. One of the things I wanted to learn how to make in Maya was that image. So my teacher taught me how to make that exact image, but three-dimensionally. Swirling the colors together on the shape. Yeah. So making a, a peppermint sucking candy in Maya. So whenever uh-huh. I see the sucking candy, it reminds, it reminds me of a goal that I set for myself was to learn how to do computer imaging. And it, now that I'm talking about it out loud, 20 years ago, I was teaching myself how to learn Maya. Maya is a, one of the first like Fusion 360 type programs. And here I am still struggling 20 years later, pretending like I'm dabbling. But for 20 years, <laughs> I've been dabbling. So I must yeah. know a lot more than I think I know. Is is Maya still still around? It's more think, of a professional, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I think yeah. South Park is still made on Maya. Oh, I think so. Yeah, last last I heard about it, yeah. South Park is still around. I don't know. I hope so. I can't wait to see what it's going to come out with after all this stuff that's going on. <laughs> can't wait to see their political uh, their take on the political arena and COVID and everything. It's going to be incredibly funny. <laughs> Well, um, we're about over an hour. Let's wrap it up. But first, I want to thank our Patreon supporters because they are awesome. And we are really grateful. Uh, big thanks to our top supporters over there. Albers Woodworks, Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting that we mentioned earlier. You can make this too. Maker in Training, Fun Kissed Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, Rich at Lowen Designs, and Odin Leather Goods. But there's a whole bunch of other people over there that help us out too. And they're all awesome. And they all get the after show. So if you want to get that and you want to help out the show, go to patreon.com slash making it. Or tell somebody you know about the show. Hmm. Pass it around. Leave a review, a comment, a like, a subscribe. Hit that, smash that like button, whatever. I don't know. Help us out if you like the show. And if not, that's cool too. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, I'm going to jump in and say my recommendation because I'm pretty sure one of you guys are going to steal it. Yep. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> Jocko, just moments ago, put out his new Kickstarter for his new tool, which is an unnecessarily sexy screwdriver. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't he's need been, it. You don't need it, and that's his whole, his whole gimmick with it. But, man, yeah, he's been working on that for a long time, and it is a very, very pretty tool. I'm, I'm really excited to get one, actually. Um, it's called the kinetic screwdriver. Just go watch the video. I'll put a link to it. You can also find it on all his social, but, um, it's, a it's like a precision screwdriver, but it has a ceramic bearing in it and it has some weight built into parts of it so that you don't have to actually work that hard to keep it 
press down into the screw and to spin it. And it's just, it's one of those things that he's joking, but you actually don't need. It's completely overkill for what it is, but it's also beautiful, <laughs> really well designed. So yeah, that's my recommendation. Now, what do you guys have? Uh, uh, I am going oh, to go oh, with... Oh, good call. Uh, um, Bill Dorn's new book, Foam Smithing 3, which I just got in the mail. Um, this will add to my, my collection, but he is a great teacher. And isn't it crazy like how <laughs> Bob skillful Bob said. they both are like with foam? Like, yeah, yeah. What, taking one thing and just taking that to the next level. Like nobody's doing what they are doing. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Um. So that's the that's his third book. Just so anybody that doesn't know, Foamsmith Three. They the first two. The first one is about armor. The second one is about weapons, and this one is about headgear. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hats. Um, <laughs> he, he signed it. Um. Hey, David, today we're going to show you how to make hats from foam. Check it. Bill. <laughs> That's he, awesome. wrote, he wrote me a nice note. He's like, I found this book on the streets of New York. <laughs> that was, that was, that was great. Yeah, he's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, Bill's awesome. Very cool. Um, so I was going to just uh, go check out uh, Derek from Malden's newest video. Derek's been struggling to make videos, but... He put out a video where he 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 was hired by a local somebody to make the amphibious car logo because there's like a a car club and a couple of the guys in the car club have the amphiba car amphiba amphibious logo I forget what the name of the car is but it's a car that was made in the 60s and the logo is very iconic looking and I remember when Derek first guy's like how am I going to figure this out but he took the job he took the job and he ended up making the sign at three or four times over because he kept not being satisfied with the results. He gave the guy the first one, and the guy was blown away at how perfect it was, but wasn't perfect for Derek. So in the video, you see him make it two times, maybe three times, but ultimately I think he made it four times. And I do a little cameo in it, because he did FaceTime with me to show me the final results. But it was interesting, his process, and he shows a lot of it. The editing is pretty good for Derek, who does not have any confidence with editing. He really... He really did a fantastic job, mm. and uh, the most important thing I wanted to stress is his enthusiasm and his and his how he's he, he surprises himself. So check it out mm. for that. It, it's really it's like genuine. It's like he's like, <gasps> like he's excited about the results he gets on some of the things he does. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It it looks like I mean I've been watching his process of learning how to make the signs and all the different finish types and the painting and the different epoxies he's been using and you know he's he's done a lot of signs recently and that one i mean just from i haven't seen the video but i've seen the images of it that one stands out as like a different level of finish like it it is a very very nice looking it looks exactly like the might have been like baked porcelain and chrome logo right 18 inches whereas the original one's only like an inch and a half two inches so he did a really nice job replicating the, the look and feel yep for sure Cool. You guys got anything else? Mm-hmm. That's it. Oh, we didn't have a topic this uh, week. Oh, man. Oh, hmm. did you want to introduce a topic? Yeah, we'll do you, oh, next week. We should hit record. Do you guys want to record oh, this? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the before show? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll see you, see you next time. Ooh. Later. Ooh. Ooh.